Welcome back to Make It So. I am Charlie Plain. Since Neil is busy tending to his five-day-old son, Matt Kirk has graciously agreed to join me today to talk about our final entries. So welcome to the show again, Matt. Hello. So, we have three 15-card expansions created by our finalists. I want to dig into these a little bit. I want to talk about the names of the expansions and the themes and which one you thought... Which one of the three grabbed you just based on the name and what they said was going to be in it? So we have Kano Hendrickson's Parallels, which is sort of a Fractured Time 2.0 type of thing. It's mostly alternate universes and that type of thing. We have Keith Morris's Rules of Engagement, which is a battle engagement slash assault themed expansion. And then we have... Uh, Gooey Chewy's Latin Inter Arma Enum Silent Legus. I don't know how to pronounce it properly, but I'm not, Latin has never been my strong point. Which is a sneaky spy covert ops expansion. So, Matt, which of those three really kind of excited you the most? Uh, I'd have to say probably Rules of Engagement. It sounded the most uh, consistent with uh, the naming conventions that we've seen for expansions. The Latin, while definitely uh, distinct and uh, good stylization, uh, I just don't, I, I, I can't buy it for uh, for the title of an expansion. And Parallels sounds more like a card title rather than an expansion title, so I think Rules of Engagement uh, fits pretty well. Uh, goes along with, uh, you know, for wanting like Blaze of Glory or for, uh, it just, it, it fits that that uh, aesthetic, I think, the best. If I were to rank them, I would have... I would agree with you that Rules of Engagement would be number one. It's it's just a great name. But I actually think it's a better name for a, a 45-card virtual expansion than a 15-card one. But that being said, it, it really just... It's a great name. I would rank Parallels number two because it, it seems to... It, it fits in with, you know, Legacy was 15 cards and Things Past and it... it, it that you know that invokes the episode, which makes me think, oh, parallel universes. So it's a good match of, of name to theme. And my, my objections to the Latin title, the reason I would rank it third, are, are simply it, it's a great theme and it's a cool episode, but that title won't fit on a pack art. It's too long to fit on pack art. It's difficult to pronounce, and there's no good abbreviation for it. You know, right. CTA, NE. All that kind of stuff has TBG. They all have uh, abbreviations, and what are you going to I A E S L? You know, there's no. I guess you could call it easel or something, but it's just it's just too cumbersome. yes cumbersome as a title. So, just going on title alone, I would pick. It'd be a close call between whether I'd pick Rules of Engagement and Parallels, but I definitely wouldn't pick Latin as the title. Let's take a look at Parallels and just do a quick rundown on this expansion. Let's take a look at Davidian Foragers, which is another persistent dilemma. Matt, what do you think of this card? The uh, reminder text aside, it's got relatively brief text. Getting to remove uh, a personnel uh, based on their cost, uh, having to stock cards in your hand in order to do it seems appropriate for that as, as a use for that keyword. Cost is 
you know, I would say that's probably appropriate because the, the additional cost of, of pitching that, that many cards uh, would justify a, a low cost dilemma. I mean, I'm glad it's not zero, but um, the one is uh, seems like it would be appropriate. And uh, they also uh, played on the persistent theme or the story tradition of, yeah, of yeah, persistent yeah. dilemmas usually have to do with spooky, creepy, crawly stuff. Yeah. And this definitely plays on that. This has the Davidian foragers oozing out the uh, life forces of the of the Forty Niners and uh, all the other indigents in uh, San Francisco. So yeah, I I, uh, I like it overall. Good good fit for the story. Uh, decent text. Not getting supremely overpowered, but uh, yeah, good solid card. I, I like it. I, I wish it did cost zero, simply because it's gonna be it's it's gonna be ragged away, right? You know, it can be ragged away. It can be Helen Noel away, because it doesn't require a skill. So if it was zero, at least it would come under those magic bullets. But I, I like it. I think it is probably pretty well costed with the scaling cost for the personnel, and it is kind of a smack to the fact that uh, Ezri Teigen and Tolian Soren show up in a lot of high level decks. Yeah, that's a good nod to that. So. Let's move from this dilemma down to the next clown dilemma, which is the clown last laugh. Tell me what you think of this one. Well, the first thing, obviously, it's five lines of text, so you got to kind of take it at face value. It's a little bit to get through. The base effect of the dilemma is pretty solid for four-cost duel. You get to throw somebody back at a headquarters. The conventioning's a little wonky with the, uh, with the second section. You should probably just say, unless you have the skills in that person skills of that personnel instead of unless you're remaining because that's kind of redundant with how dilemmas are usually conventioned and that again that should probably be bolded the the effect is quite powerful if, if you can't actually meet it you get to if they're hiding anybody at their hq if they're not sticking them out in the in the open then all of a sudden they get thrown back in the pile so i i like it uh as an idea i think probably a little more polished and it could be a pretty solid card I think it's a really neat idea. It's a nod to the fact that there are a lot of people that sit at home. The problem is it, it it's not really going to work because now if I have somebody who's going to sit at home, I'm just going to play my second ship early and put them on the ship. And so the, really the best case this is going to do is randomly move somebody to my home world and then shuffle them back into my deck because I failed oh, the dilemma. The, the polish could have helped because they could have addressed that by saying at a headquarters mission instead of on a headquarters mission, and then all of a sudden you can't just stick people on your ships at home. Right, and, and the only reason I'm harping on it is because there was a dilemma like this previously that we made that comment right. on, and they didn't change it. So, you know? right, right. so let's move to what may be the longest title ever now, but it does fit. So... His Honor the Shy, the High Sheriff of Nottingham, the Q event. What what's this card uh, do for you, Matt? Well, first of all, uh, the only reason that I give this card a pass on the British spelling is because of the episode. Because yeah, okay, I get it's Robin Hood and it's English, but traditionally they've used the American spelling of uh, like honor and color without the U. I think in this case I, I could be I could be convinced to give it a pass. There should probably be a comma in there after the honor. Solid forecast Q event. The immediate benefit you get to uh, you know muck a or not even muck you get to unmuck one of your uh, planet dilemmas back, which is helpful for you know the current meta going space planet planet. And the late game effect of this um, 
it, this this really is a mid to late game card because not only do you get your dilemma back, but then you can also blow it up if your if your opponent's going for the throw, then they're gonna you know just eke out a hundred points. You go, oh, you have ninety five now, but you have to lose your five yourself, which is a nice kind of nod to the old uh, mechanics of the cube side pile that uh, often would punish both players or would would have some risk that both players would have to lose something in order to. Uh, have a have the effect that the that the owner of the card wanted it to have, but yeah, I like it. It's a uh, it's kind of a neat little twist on a you know a couple different things going on and a good solid idea for the text. Yeah, I like it. it it's very Dominiony to me. That that second ability is it's very everybody's gonna suffer is a very Dominion flavored ability to me. I'm not. I'm not sure I like that. It's definitely cool, and it's definitely a nod to Kirk and Rega and that kind of stuff. And I suppose that if you're using this, you're going to have a deck that's going to plan to lose points and have a way to account for that. It's just the losing points is never fun, you know, unless you get a big payoff for it. And now but the only time that I would ever pop this event would be, and because it's unique, the only time I would ever pop this event is if my opponent was going to score exactly 100 points enough to win the game, and they were just going to bypass my last dilemma that I, you know, if it went off, it would stop them, but then all of a sudden they bust out a some way to cheat around it, I say, oh, all of a sudden you lose five points, and now you have, you have to work a little bit more for it, so I like that it encourages around the corner. I also like the fact that it doesn't screw with the prevented and overcome stuff. The, it's, it lets your cheater still work. It just makes you pay for it. So I, I appreciate that uh, that level of meta adjustment that uh, people would have to make if this were in the if this were in the pool. Absolutely. So let's move down to quantum flux. The first thing that jumped into my head when I read this was one-upsmanship. It, it reminded me of one-upsmanship, which is sort of the opposite of this. But I think it's a cool it's a cool mechanic. I think it probably costs too little. It, it shouldn't cost two and be non-unique. That's a big problem for me. The temporal keyword, uh, good use of it, with uh, and especially with uh, the the flavor that they're going for from uh, from the episode parallels where Worf's jumping around. The uh, downloading the copy of the guy and then putting it on top of uh, on top of your deck. I think the conventioning is not quite the same as how one-upsmanship is, is worded, so um, that might need to be adjusted so that they match. Because one of the nice things about one-upsmanship is you, you don't have to get the same exact card. You just have to get the same title. So, for instance, if I'm playing original Thinker Kirk and you're playing the highly decorated Captain Kirk, you can go fetch him instead and, and make all your... Um, uh, make, make all your TOS stuff, uh, get all your triggers and whatnot, or even go get experienced commander and then go make all your TOS guys dodge bullets. And again, this one, I like the idea of it. I think I would make it cost zero, and you'd have to blow it up to use it instead of making it cost two and just be not unique and sit on the table and use it when you want. What hops out at me? I actually don't agree with the temple keyword on there now that I reread it because. Quantum Incursions, which is the card in Fractured Time that's the same storyline, doesn't have that keyword. Because it's not really traveling through time that's going on, it's traveling through realities. You know, they don't show, like, younger Worf and older Worf, it's Worfs from different universes. So I'm not sure that Temporal fits. In any event, this would go in my Cardassian deck that uses the cost of freedom from the Undiscovered Country, which is discard the top three cards of your deck to make your guys plus one for every event you discard or something along those lines. 
if you run a Cardassian deck with a lot of the common events in it, you can rig it, essentially, and make your Cardassians incredibly powerful. It really shouldn't be a non-unique card, I think. Or, or if it destroyed itself, it might be okay. Well, it does have to be a unique card, so they'd have to be getting the unique events out, which, you know, you, you, could, you could still make that work. I, I, I like that it can get a ship for stuff like Driven and Final Cry and all that. Yeah, I, I, like, I like that angle on it. But yeah, I, I think you should have to blow it up, and I would like it if it, if it were cheaper. Or if it was unique, that would be fine too. So let's talk about Year of Hell. This is, this is one of the most interesting cards in this expansion, in my opinion. What, what are your thoughts on this one? This kind of takes the raise the stakes uh, flavor to a whole other level with uh, you know giving your opponent five free dilemmas and costs whenever they draw stuff here, you know, just basically making it that much more of a, of a hurdle to get past. What I find objectionable about this is that given enough dilemma choke, um, you could basically, I don't want to say minimize the danger of this one, but you could definitely, it, it, it could get to the point where you could make this an easy 15 points, especially if you threw it on, let's say, for Voyager, since I, you know, it's the year of hell, uh, Caretaker's Ray, and you need four people to solve it anyway, and you're throwing in running a fast ship, or running a tight ship, and um, some other dilemma choke mechanic uh, on there, you know, Vic Fontaine or um, anything else, all of a sudden, you know, they're, they might be back to drawing five and spending four instead of drawing nine and spending nine or whatever, however much the, the year of hell would give them. So, I don't know. I It's one of those, it's definitely one of those uh, cards that sets the tone for the, for the rest of the expansion. Fifteen points is kind of an interesting amount for a for an event. I don't think we've seen as high as 15 points on a single event around the corner. Maybe, I mean, The only maybe, one I can think of is Just Like Old Times. Just Like Old Times, right, right. And this is definitely a totally different uh, area of the game that we're dealing with. Um, I think Just Like Old Times is justified because it's having to do with combat, and that's, especially for Bajorans, is not really one of the things that you normally do. But since this is no affiliation requirement, no, if you had to play it on a, on a space, or a planet mission, rather, as opposed to a space mission, I think I'd be a little more okay with it. But the fact that you can just throw it on your first space mission and just keep banging away at it, um, that allows for a lot of shenanigans that I think, um, given the right amount of playtesting, you can probably tone this down to not be quite as extreme as it is right now. But it, it could, it could. I, I think some people could get it to work but uh, it would, it would uh, you definitely have to build, you definitely have to build a deck around it. Yeah, and, and that's a good thing. I, I, I think 15 points is just too much. I mean, it turns a 35-point mission into a 50-point mission, and yes, I know your opponent is going to draw 5 and spend 5 extra, but you can work around that, as you mentioned, and I'm not sure that's enough of a deterrent to turn a 35-point mission into a 50-point mission. You know, this is going to make some two-mission windex, and it... it it's going to make some two-mission win decks really, really viable, because you're going to solve two 35-point missions with with this and, and win. And given that it's temporal, you can run Oh, Nothing Happened and take out Tragic Turn, which is going to be the biggest liability for you with the extra draws. So you, you'd run this plus Oh, Nothing Happened and then a deck that's going to solve two missions and win the game. That's some danger area to me. This is a big red flag for me. It's cool, but it's a big red flag for me. 
let's move on to the mission here. And I know the artificial intelligence is not going to be happy that the skills are out of order. At, at this point, really, that's not an acceptable mistake. It's minor, I understand, but that's not an acceptable mistake. So big wag of the finger from me on this. But let's look at the mission. What do you think, Matt? While it does fit in the template, it is rather busy. That's a lot of requirements. Uh, you know, four skills one way, or four, well, four skills both ways. So I think maybe dropping one or the other, or, or dropping one skill on each side would have been a little uh, cleaner of a card. I like the I like the uh, the, the ability. Now, having said that. It says any affiliation can attempt the mission. I think that should not be allowed for Borg. I don't, I don't think Borg need access to this. Because especially for Borg physics security transporters, there's like eight drones with those three skills and two treachery. You're going to play with the Queen or Locutus or both or the other first or any of those. And it's a 40-point planet alpha mission. Yeah, no. Borg do not need to have this mission in their arsenal of alpha missions that they can score for uh, lots of points. The two-span, uh, I think for how this is worded uh, currently, uh, probably is a bit generous. Um, because it's a 40-point mission, it gets all those extra bonus things now from Enterprise J, from all your uh, all those cards from Raise the Stakes that all of a sudden make 40-point missions awesome. Um, it's eligible for all of those, and uh, anybody can do it. So I, I think it'd just be a, a touch, uh, touch too good. If it was 35 points, no problem. I, I have no problem with this card, and especially if you're going to knock the requirements down on both sides. If you're going to make it three skills and moderate attributes for 35 points, only good for alternate decks, I think it works fine. My problem with this card is it's sort of, it's a punishing, it's punishing you for not playing it right. And it's just, you're right, it's a negative bonus, but that's sort of like, that's not a happy feeling for somebody. You know, if you really wanted to limit it to AU, the yellow AU, you may, you must, you know, you must attempt this mission with three AU personnel in your away team. I know that's not worded right, but that's the gist of it. If you're going to give a bonus, it needs to be a bonus. You know? Actually, just riffing on that, I, the the easiest way to flip it around would be make it cost thirty five, all the, or make it cost, make it make it thirty five points. Then you take all those uh, tools away from it and say when you complete this mission, if you command three alternate people, score five points. Yeah, I think that would have been happier. You know, yeah. you don't get the forty point stuff, but it's just backwards from where it should be, in my opinion. I mean, which could be a design intent, seeing as it's one of the mirror episodes. So you know, possibly. Yeah. Okay, so let's jump down and look at Kano's personnel here, starting with a Dominion Elena Necheyev, is that right? Well, he references the DS9 episode where the Vorta hook up all the DS9ers to their uh, experiment tables. So I get the uh, I, I get the irony, and I, I really like uh, this type of this is almost a throwback. I mean, this is definitely a throwback to the to the way that one e would write cards, where they're you know, if this if this was a one e card, it would have a Federation infiltration icon, and it would be an alternate personnel. 
whether or not this should actually be a personnel eh, I mean Borath is so I, I, I get the I get the precedent um, those concerns aside I, I really actually I like this card a lot because it's not it's not a uh, one of the main species for Dominion it's not Founder or not Founder it's not Changeling or Gemidar or Vorda uh, it's got the Admiral keyword which is fantastic I love that somebody else aside from um Federation or even Romulan gets an admiral keyword, and the abilities right in line with uh, what the what the Dominion like to do. I would I would slip this card right into uh, several different um, things that you know either, either a uh, uh, an attribute de- depleting deck because you want to try and get cards out of their hand, or even like a Dominion Maquis deck uh, that would work great for this. Um, especially if you've got some other trick where you pop the top card in your deck, and if they do something. Or, you know, they have to make a match or whatever. Um, so, like a Dominion Romulan deck uh, kind of discard stuff, or Dominion Tarak Nor uh, pitching cards, uh, milling stuff off the top. I like it because it gives me lots of cool ideas for totally different decks that uh, we haven't really seen. I don't buy that this is. She should, I don't buy that this works as a Dominion human. Sorry. Um, Borath was an actual human being personating a founder in the. In the in the illusion, which I get. None of the other recreations on the Dominion side were actual people. I mean, Cisco and those guys were because they were plugged into the Matrix, but th- this should be, if anything, like a hologram. It shouldn't be a human because she was never actually hooked into the machine. She was recreated specifically for the purpose of tricking the crew. I mean, I like, I love the card. I really do. It's cool. I just, you know, it shouldn't be a persona of that character because it's not so either give it a different name or make it a hologram or something it, it just it shouldn't be Neshef because it's not her she was never actually ever physically involved in that simulation well but Borath wasn't either he was never actually plugged into it he was just the one running it on the outside he happened to program himself into it and he was in the he was in the you know per- portrayed in Fractured Time as the you know uh, founder, quote unquote. So, I, I have less of an issue with that. I, uh, if the, if that's going to be, the, if we're going to use that as the precedent and the uh, the logic of why Alana Nichev human is working for the Dominion, I, I, I could buy it. But uh, yeah, it is one of those question marks. Like, hmm, that's pretty interesting. But you know, I, I could uh, I could go either way. Well, let's talk about Battleship Guinan here. What are your thoughts on her? First of all, Forecast Guinan, cool, like it. TNG doesn't need a whole lot of help, and so that obviously is going to raise, raise some red flags. Her ability uh, could get really out of control really fast. If it was something like you had to remove her from the game to score five points, like you had to remove Guinan from the game to score five points, and so you could only do it once, maybe. I like the idea. I, I'm just a little worried about uh, that the effect could get out of hand. Now, my one complaint about this is I think that most of the I could be wrong, but most of the AUTNG people all work on being around cost four or more people, not being around other AUTNG folks. So, she should really say, when your TNG personnel president who costs four or more is about to be killed by Adelman. I understand that he wants to limit it to the battleship crew, but the battleship crew doesn't limit themselves that way 
if she's going to be part of that crew, she should fit with that theme. Well, but the only Battleship crew member that I can think of that's not four cost is Tasha, and she costs three, so that makes sense to me. Well, I suppose that he did that to get her in there, so... Alright, it's minor, but I wanted to point it out. So, next is Miral Paris, and I'm not a fan of the Voyager icon on there. What are your thoughts, Matt? Uh, you know, Voyager doesn't need any extra people, especially not one that's going to match up on a racial tension with Milana. Um The intelligence is interesting. I mean, it fits on Miral, but the... Uh, inclusion in a, in a Voyager deck uh, uh, of easy intelligence aside from Seska. Uh, I don't know. Um, the ability, while it is certainly driven by the, the story, you know, looking for the time machine so that the Admiral Janeway can go back and uh, fix stuff. I, while I like it, I, I think it might be a little too easy for uh, Chuckles to go get your you know, cheap temporal cards back and play them again so you can blow them up again. So, not the biggest fan of this one. So, Benny Russell is the next card, and that was the card that he chose to spoil. I think it's interesting that he's Benny Russell as his title and not Benjamin Sisko. That, that's a very... I don't know if I like that or not. I really need to sit and think about that more. But, you know, he's got an AU icon but no past icon. There, there's a lot of question marks on this one. What, what do you think? This is one way to go about addressing this uh, kind of pseudo-reality that DS9 entered in the last couple seasons because there is the big question mark. When when he has that epiphany at the end of the show, is is he the dreamer or the dream? And all of a sudden he goes to the window and he sees Benny Russell reflected in the mirror. I don't know. It's one of those... Does does he belong as a as a personnel card in in TNG or in TNG in the whole Star Trek card game? Uh, probably not. He 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 should probably be more of a of a writer for the for the cards and and keep, be limited to just a you know verb cards effects or effects events and interrupts and dilemmas maybe. Um, but as a character, um, I don't think engineers particularly uh, appropriate. If you just had anthropology and honor, I think that would be enough. The the effect is certainly makes uh, makes you want to build a deck, or makes you definitely want to throw them into just about any deck that you can. Because um, you know, aside from having seven integrity, which is awesome on an online, um, and the rest of his stats aren't bad either. Yeah, all of a sudden, hey, no tragic turns, no urgencies, no timescapes, and that's that's a little dangerous. Um, so. I don't know. That's uh, that, that's definitely one of those meta-changing cards. I think the real thing that's dangerous is, a, is an ability like this should not be on a non-aligned. Yeah. Because it's a, it, it essentially becomes an auto-include. The, the best example of that in recent memory is Greasy Ducat. Yep. You know, him, him being on a non-aligned means it's in every freaking deck that can use it. I'm not, I don't question the decision to make him, I understand, but... It's, putting Kirk as a non-aligned is just is super dangerous. And this ability as a non-aligned on this character makes me really question this card. Yeah. It's not bad, it's cool, but it makes me question it. Especially putting think, it out right before I, Worlds. I, I think this works better if it's going to be, if it's, I mean, because obviously an effect that powerful is going to be desired by a lot of different decks. Um, that feel, it feels like more of a 
uh, more of text that you would find on a, one of those dilemmas that you put in your put in put in your opponent's core, and then they can use it against you when they want to, kind of like uh, inferiority. Um, it feels like one of those where if they get it past you, and then you try to put one past them, they can they can cancel it out. So I, I yeah, if it's if it's going to be that powerful of text, I think that definitely needs to uh, either be tone down if it's going to be a personnel or at least make it a dilemma so that if people if most people include them in their, in their deck it's going to be um, in, that, in that half of the game yeah so let's look at Edith Keeler here uh, what's what's your thought on her initially um, she's got the right skills appropriate um, I don't know why she has the alternate icon she really shouldn't because she that was the whole point was she had to die in order for the history not to get screwed up. That's kind of a big question mark on there. The past icon is obviously appropriate, and the the effect is pretty cool. I like it. Um, it it makes it dangerous to play kill kill dilemmas because you're going to give your opponent points. But even if you do, it doesn't completely hose you because you get the points too. All right, let's talk about. This is the Kira card. This is a very creative way to get a Kira in the set. Uh, what do you think about this card? Same kind of comments as Benny. I think um, this kind of all-purpose effect belongs on a dilemma for the same reasons as uh, stated before. I don't really think she belongs in the in the Star Trek universe as a, as a personnel. She definitely does not deserve science. Um, Anthro in physics, I, I guess I could get behind that because she's got to have a knowledge of physics to actually, you know, write science fiction. But I mean, most science fiction writers don't have any clue about what they're actually writing about. They have to have consultants and whatnot. So while she might have a passing knowledge of science, I don't think that would be enough to give her the 24th century equivalent of uh, science that most of the actual <laughs> Trek characters possess. I, w- I could see themes. If you're going to make like character dilemmas, like if you're going to have something like belong in the dilemma pile and play in your core, and you get to use it while on your turn as an order, something like that, then I could see it in that fashion. But as as a personnel, I just don't think it works. All right. Well, then let's look at the last non-line personnel, which is Lazarus, an original series personnel. This seems to be the next in the theme of zero-cost guys with a drawback. I like the idea of this, where he turns into the anti-Lazarus and then he comes back and he's the regular Lazarus. I really I, I appreciate that, the thought of trying to actually play out what happened in the episode with the, with the two halves of the same guy. I, I really like that a lot. However... <laughs> This is, it's kind of like a proactive Ezri Tegan where you know you're going to lose it as opposed to, yeah, I might. How many people would actually put this in their deck? I don't know. It would be interesting to throw out a board deck and have show up with some shenanigans and then go assimilate them. I mean, you'd have to give them back, but um, you would know what you were getting on an assimilation. Uh, I don't know. I, I like the, uh, I, I, I really. I want to like this card. It's just one of those big... Would I ever put it in a deck? Uh, I don't know. Uh, so aesthetically, gets an A+. Plus. For actual use in a deck, eh, tough to say. So the last personnel of this expansion is another Tomalek. Another AU Tomalek, even. What, what are your thoughts on this guy? 
skills are appropriate. I like the fact that this guy is the uh, AU guy from Future Imperfect as opposed to the AU from All Good Things. I, I guess that was AU. Um, because it never really happened, or they prevented it from happening. Um, it fits with, definitely with the Romulan theme. I would have really liked to have seen a Tomalak with, like, Honor instead. And this this is really the first of the Barash Delusion guys that we've seen in 2E. And um, 1E, we've seen them, and they haven't had the hologram icon. They've had the Barash Illusion icon. So maybe this guy should be a hologram? He absolutely hard should be a hologram, in my opinion. To say. Two, two big problems with this card. One... I can't make you download. You can't make me download because I can always choose not to download. So right. the the reason Keros is worded the way he is is to avoid the word download. If you say download, I can okay. I don't find anything to download. So choose an opponent to download a card isn't going to make me do what I think this wants me to do. Then it gets to remove one of my ships from the game. Uh uh-uh, uh, bad. Can't do that. It needs to be non ship card. Every other Romulan removal card says non ship. Two big dings on his game text here. I think it would probably have been less objectionable had it been remove a card from the discard pile or like a mill a card from the discard pile, mill a card and then look in the discard pile, something like that. Yeah, it's just, it's, ship denial is avoided for a very good reason because it's a huge negative play experience. Let's look at the last card, which is the Regency 1. Um, tell me what you think about Worf's flagship here. Mirror Worf's flagship. Well, aside from somewhat unimaginative subtitle. I like the fact that you have that it's, you know, this is the first Klingon alternate ship I think we've had. I like that it basically tacks on the Commander Regency 1 text onto uh, the three-cost alternate wharf. And the the text is, you know, it's definitely useful. It's a big old ship, and uh, not like Klingons really need any help in that department, but they usually go for the cheaper ships. So... Again, this is one of those question marks. Would I ever put this in a deck? Yeah, maybe. But uh, there are definitely cheaper and more efficient ways to go. Uh, not the score points, anyway. But uh, did miss a capitalization on uh, the second commander in the, in the text there. I think my biggest problem with this card is that Klingons won Worlds last year, and they haven't really made a big splash so far this year, but they're still a pretty big threat. And giving them a huge battle card like this... I can just put Khan on this and score five points off of it. I don't even need to get that wharf. Right. So, I don't know why you'd, why you'd put out a card right before Worlds that makes the previous year's world champion better. I think the cost prohibition is probably going to be its limiting factor for how often it's, it's going to see gameplay. Except you, can get, you, could, you could get around it with Commandeer Prototype. So, you could, sure. you could literally take Neil's deck and replace the Defiant with this and solve the problem solve the problem so that's very true alright so real quick overall parallels grade where where would you put this expansion I would give this a solid B and maybe a B minus for a couple of the 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 texts for not quite thinking all the way through the current meta and what's needed and what uh, what doesn't what we don't need and uh uh, just some, just some of the, the the choices that were made um, were a little either questionable or um, weren't quite thought all the way through with possible interactions um, with uh, with popular cards. And I think while the, there is definitely a good amount of uh, imaginative and uh, definitely useful 
game text that we saw on here, maybe a little too much in that direction, and uh, a little more restraint probably would have been appropriate on this one. Yeah, I, I really like that this expansion offers a lot of generic cards, which is what you would want to see in something coming out shortly before your World Championship. My biggest objections to this expansion are that the affiliated cards that we have are poorly chosen. Giving the Klingons, the previous year's World Champions, a big ship is a no-no. Giving the Romulans a ship denial card is a no-no. The Dominion one, I have different objections to, but... It's a great, it's a great effort. I just think that the, that some of the choices made for what affiliations get cards is, is a little wonky to me. So I would probably go with like a B minus or maybe a B. I think it's a great effort. Okay, let's take a look now at Rules of Engagement by Keith Morris. Now, we both picked this one as the expansion that was the best sell based on its title. So let's dive into this one a little bit and talk about some of the cards here. Starting with the Pair of Dilemmas, which are pretty much the same dilemma, skinned for space and planet, cloaked threat, and shrouded enemy. This kind of already exists as once more under the breach. Um, this one's a little more serious because um, you can lock it out with either um, astrometrics, you know, just cancel one of those skill, you know, skill fish for one of those skills, get clear those out, and then all of a sudden, if they don't have a maneuver event, they're kind of hosed. Um, and you can't get around it with Rega or any of that nonsense, because hey, look, it requires skills. And same thing with the with the planet mission. I, I like the fact that it's similar uh, effects for similar story, you know, the Jemadar are shrouded and the ships are cloaked. You could skip the damage marker and just say, all your people are stopped, or just, just have the same text as Shrouded Enemy and, and have it still be uh, solid card. I like I, I like the fact that it's not over the top. Um, the kill and the stop is probably a little strong, so probably one or the other, um, if for, for three cost anyway. Uh, three cost is also dangerous because of subliminal signal, so maybe pump that up to four or put a. Uh, I mean, you've already, you don't have any, you don't have any room on the card left for, from cloak threat to put any uh, uh, consume text on there, but definitely for shrouded enemy you would. So. Well, two things I think are really interesting. I, I agree about the damage text. I don't like that. It's very heavy-handed for what it's trying to do. The, the thing that I don't like about it is it shuts down the people who can repair it, and I don't I, I don't like that, especially like Voyager and Equinox. They, they kind of need that. W one interesting story note here is he picked story for these cards that involve a enemy that's invisible. So what's the picture going to be? Like a, a space shot and like three guys standing around waiting for a Geminar to kill him? So Well, and that was the, that was the problem we faced with Once More Into the Breach. They came to the Lore and Titles team and Brad said, I don't know what image we're going to use. And we said, well, <laughs> how about just a picture of space? And that's kind of what it ended up being was the, you know, the view from the, from the cloaked ship, uh, just, you know, the, the Enterprise hanging out there. And so, yeah. Um, you have to have something on the card rather than just, you know, black dots on a... Or white, white dots, dots on, on a black, black field, yeah. yeah. So, the next card is the Beta 12A Entity, which is a cool idea for a card. My biggest problem here is that these three cards, they're opposites, meaning they're, they're incompatible. I would never run the Beta 12 Entity in the same deck that I'm using these two dilemmas because I'm handing you a card that lets you beat my dilemmas. 
I understand that not every card in your expansion has to be perfectly synergized, but it is kind of like a sore thumb to me to have a card that directly contradicts your other card in your expansion. I, it's not completely unheard of to have the solution for a dilemma be somewhere in the same expansion, but, but this one does it kind of in a very blatant way, and it's again, it's one of the, it's a three cost maneuver. Or, well, it's a three cost defense, it's all and maneuver, um, but. It's one of those ways that you could probably work this into the game somehow, where it's one of those, you know, the, the big complaint with Tui over, over from 1E purists is, well, we, we, we always like to fight in 1E, and we don't want to have to have a card that we have to play to blow stuff up, and this is, you know, this definitely addresses that fact. I'm not sure that I like it all that much, um, but yeah, I totally agree with what you said. It's kind of like, why would I put this in a deck if I was going to have to... Or if I was trying to make them uh, make Cloak Threat and Shattered Enemy both hit, because it just uh, kind of solves that problem. Okay, so what about Surprise Attack? I will say, straight out, this is my f- favorite card that I saw out of all 45 cards at first glance. I saw this card, and it kind of made me think, and then I read it a little bit more, and I realized what it meant. And this is really awesome. It's a card that lets, it's it's tough to play because... It's an interrupt that you get to use on your opponent's turn, so it's it's one of those reactive cards as opposed to proactive cards. I, I love what this does because all of a sudden it makes those Klingon decks or any other battle decks, they run over to you, you go, and you get to smack them with this. Even if you lose, they're going to be stopped because it's their turn, and they just get involved in an engagement. Well, yeah, I think this it's cool. It, it's it's kind of kludgy to me. I had to read it a couple times. Once you get a handle on what it's doing, I think it's it's pretty neat. I'm not sure I agree with the with the story behind it because Kirk wasn't really coming into attack reliant. It was kind of the other way around. Well, honestly, once more into the breach is the perfect story for this. I, I agree. I don't think um, Wrath of Khan is the right answer on this one. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love that movie, and, and it's it's a great uh, image. That I, and I know exactly which one he would be going for. He'd be trying to copy the once more into the breach picture where you're looking at Reliant from the Enterprise Bridge with the red alert going on. But I just don't think it works for, for, the, for the story. That's it for his verbs. Let's move on to his nouns. And he put Akira in his set. Let's, let's talk about this Kira. She lives up to the precedent, you know, good old three costs, good old command star, good old three sixes all across, Bajoran uh, resistance, which is, you know, on a, on a few of them. The wording of her ability is a little clunky. There's a better convention more with more precedent that, that's uh, in the game, but I like it. It's a, it's one of those that rewards Bajoran combat that I don't think is a deck that sees a whole lot of use, so encouraging that I think uh, is not objectionable and is kind of fun. I'm a little concerned about how powerful it is for the cost. Just like old times plus her means I can score 15 points and blow up up to three events of yours. I think that's undercosted. All right, so let's look at the Dominion, a new Jem'Hadar, an alert fifth. What are your thoughts here? Tarek Noor, awesome. Jem'Hadar, awesome. His ability, wow. Makes me want to go build a Tarek Noor deck. I like the fact that he only works with combat uh, because it's way too easy for Dominion and, well, and Tarek Nor in some respects because they've got cheap ships to go around and, and punk people in ship battles. I like that you have to do um, hand-to-hand fights with this um, to get it to work. I would like to have seen him 
maybe have to kill himself to get the effect or put himself underneath. You should only get to usually do it once a turn because you stop after a combat. So I, I, I like it. I, I think a three cost to keep it from going up to four, I could, I could see it. And there's definitely other three cost jimmies that are about the same uh, power scale as him. So yeah, I like it. Now let's talk about Ben Maxwell, the rogue captain of the Phoenix. It's kind of a catch-22 with this guy, because should he be TNG? If he should, TNG doesn't need any help. But if he shouldn't, or if, if you put the Earth on icon on him, he still feels like he should be TNG. He's fed guy with treachery, so obviously he's going to be able to go to uh, Atlas IV. So now all of a sudden now they got to worry about his interactions with uh, Aki. It works really well with Maquis, actually, and his reward for winning an engagement and those Maquis swarm decks that are going to come punk you for, you know, 5, 10, 15 points or whatever and then deploy the fleet. All of a sudden, you get him and you're throwing cards um, out of your deck. Um, Getting cards out of your hand is what Maquis is all about. So, I mean, he fits perfectly in with them. Otherwise, yeah, solid skills, uh, solid personnel. I think that this is essentially a Maquis card in sheep's clothing. Essentially, just like Valeris was in this side of Paradise, it's a Maquis card with an Earth icon on it. Now, my biggest complaint is, I think he should be a dissident. I don't think it would have hurt anything to be on there because you're not gonna splash Earth for one character in a dissident deck. And I don't know, his his ability is very cool for Maquis. I can see it being dangerous in a TNG battle deck. Again, I can bottom deck your ships very easily. I would have liked to see a non-ship rider in here. I really think it's kind of a cool representation of the character. One thing that I think would have been neat is if he had a Cardassian-flavored ability. I think that would have been a cool nod to what was going on in the story. Or if he had an ability that was anti-Cardassian. But he's a cool character. Going along with Maxwell here, let's jump down some cards and look at the Phoenix, since they're very closely related. The Phoenix is the new Defiant for Commander Prototype decks, and here's why. All of a sudden, you have a free way you can start an engagement anytime. Kind of, kind of scared of that guy. I, I agree, especially when you look at Benjamin Sisko, which is the next card we're going to go back to, jumping back up. Th- these three Fed cards are a dangerous, dangerous little package that essentially can be played in a wide variety of decks. Ben Sisko's primary ability lets you snipe a dilemma out of their pile. If you put, even if you just put Ben Sisko on the Phoenix, when you win an engagement, one dilemma goes out of the game that you choose, and one dilemma goes onto your space mission, which is purely better than what the Defiant can do. Moving on to Braktor, and his ship is in here too, so we'll do Braktor and the Krita, the Krita together. What are your thoughts on the, these cards? This Braktor is a thousand times more polished, and it's it's a simple enough uh, idea, and yeah, I like it. It's a uh, you know he's he's there, he's he's blowing up your stuff. Minor minor points off for not italicizing the creature and the commander thing, but hey, whatever. I like it. It's, it's a pretty solid. Yeah, so you essentially get to you know you go out and fight, and you can put a card under your your. Franginar for Rega. What do you think about the ship? I would be fine with the ship without the order. The order makes it I want to say abusive because it's definitely not abusive, but it makes it a little, a little too good. 
I, I think I'd be okay with it if it was more costly. Because as as it is right now, once I once I win my first fight, all I need all I need is one card under Fringinar. And let's be honest, it's not hard to get a card under Fringinar. Once I win my first fight, I can essentially start downloading my perfectly desired cards below Fringinar and scoring points every turn. Now, if it was discard a rule beneath Fringinar, then I might not be so objection. I might, I might, I might be okay with that because now you're getting into Rega. Rega land where you know you're discarding the rules that he wants to use and you're doing them to, to do something else so yeah all right real quick then let's hop back up here to Sela the blockade runner I love this card it is totally awesome because you can set it up with a few different Romulan cards I love the fact that she's a smuggler she's got all the right skills her stats are appropriate she's three costs she should be human Romulan not just Romulan, but other than that, A plus on the card. It's not as objectionable with the ship denial here because it's not easy to force ships to the top of an opponent's deck. My concerns that have been raised earlier about removing ships from the game are somewhat still valid here. Again, it's random. It's not as easy to rig as discarding ships from hand, but it's really good. I mean, this card would really make the Romulans' far-seeing eyes insanely good. Aside from the human Romulan addition, the only other part of my massage would be shuffle that player's deck and then remove the top two cards. So just make it a pure uh, random assortment of that. So you can't do any of the Romulan shenanigans to set it up. So that's the last of his personnels, and I gotta say, there are one, two, three, four, five ships in this expansion. That's an awful lot. I guess it's to be expected in a you know yeah. battle battle expansion, but... <laughs> Titled engagement. <laughs> We've already talked about the Phoenix and the Krikta, so let's take a look at the other three, starting with our Dominion Universal Attack Ship here. What, what are we thinking about this card? Well, like we saw with the Phoenix and the Krikta, and actually all the ships in this expansion have the have the same kind of built-in ability to start a fight. I don't like the fact that they can start their own fights. This one is probably the least objectionable of the ones in this uh, in, in this entry because it calls for Cardassian instead of Dominion. So you have to play... It fits best in a Tarek Nordic. I really appreciate that. The uh, the effect is certainly very strong and especially uh, if I drop off Viratodon, mentioned earlier, and uh, then go beat you up with the attack ship, I just beat you up for... And because it's non-unique... I can do it three times if I've got all the... And, and with the with the order, I, all I have to do is have three Cardassians in my hand. The staffing is easy, so I'll just, you know, staff up my uh, my three different ships, go punky three times, and all of a sudden I get to pick, you know, the top three cards of your Dilemma Pile that are going to be there. Yeah, and the, the, that's, you know, the Tarak Nor have a uh, tenuous they alliance, do. which lets them mill off the Dilemma Pile, so you can... You know, exactly. Do and they do bringing. not have a problem with cheap people. Moving from the Dominion ship to the Maquis ship, noted on the same, we, we all have the same objections about being able to self-start engagements. Given that we have acknowledged our dislike of the self-starting of engagements, what are your thoughts on the Alpha 7? I really like how this one, this guy, uh, encourages you, kind of uh, backhandedly to attempt missions on the same turn that you're doing an engagement. I think that's a really cool twist for Maquis, because you can still, I'm assuming there would be a row that would go with Alpha 7, whatever ship that was, 
and you know she would have some kind of engagement text whatever I would have loved to have seen a, a, a federation Makiro that could to, to match with this that would have been fantastic but the fact that you only have to have one guy staff it and all you have to do is win the engagement and all of a sudden you're good on random dilemmas for the rest of the turn I, I like that I like I, I think it could be a little strong maybe randomly selected by dual dilemmas instead of just everything but uh, yeah I love the idea that scares me, the fact that the Maquis can run around with this ship and one guy on it and make all their people immune to dilemmas. I, I think it's just too good. With the, the low attribute requirements of Maquis ships, there are enough cards that boost the weapons to make this, you know, really, really a trivial investment for a Maquis player to do and uh, make it so all their people can't be stopped by dilemmas. That's, that's pretty good. I think if you up the staffing requirements on this one, that would answer a lot of those questions. Like, if you made it three staff... I know it's not consistent with the other Condor-class fighters, but given the strength of the game text, I think you can make a case for it. Or, or maybe do something like the Dominion Defiant has, which, you know, to staff this have ship, you must a, have a something sure. on board. So, Absolutely. Um, three Maquis personnel, even. So at least it's more of an investment to do this. Okay, so that takes us to our last ship in this expansion, which is the Federation Stolen Attack Ship. I've wanted to see this card in the game for a while. Again, the, the conventioning's a little wonky. The word loser is not really... Uh, found on cards. It's usually um, for, like for this one, you could just say choose the dilemma beneath one of your one of his or her missions to be returned. It's it's kind of interesting. I like the idea of DS9 getting a refund if they have to go out and fight. So yeah, I, I like the idea. Whether or not it'd be worth it, I don't know. You could probably make a deck around this, and the, and the, the staffing is definitely uh, generous. So yeah, I like it. There's a trend on a lot of ships, off-affiliation ships, that they have extra staffing requirements over what the natural affiliation would do. Uh, the Prometheus, the Reliant, even the Defiant. Fer- the Defiant, the Ferengi Enterprise. You can't right. you can't move the thing unless you have programming and on it. Uh, I'm a little disappointed to not see that here. I mean, it's the same staffing requirement on the, the Dominion attack ships. I think it should definitely be an extra staff star. Or or two gold stars. Mm-hmm. I, I would have been okay with that. It's a good card. It's interesting. I think, I mean, if you could somehow find a way to bring this one and the Phoenix and Cisco and Maxwell together, now you're doing... I mean, that's... Yeah, but you could do it with one battle if you used Premier Wharf. Premier Deep Space Nine Wharf. I could do one fight with these two ships and target remove a dilemma from the game. I could bring one of my dilemmas back and get a dilemma under my mission. Plus, nick a card out of your hand. Right. It's just... That's too much fed battle love. I mean, I get that nobody does fed battle, but at the same time, you don't want to put so much in here that now everybody runs fed battle. Again, the, the main objection to these cards, if you took all of the self-starting engagement stuff off of these cards and added some, as you said, additional text to go with their benefits for engagement, some, some other restrictive text, you know, you must have XYZ, whatever, to run the ship, I think, I think those would have an easier time making, it, in making a final cut of an expansion. Okay, so let's take the long view of rules of engagement here. Using the same high school grading system, what would you give this expansion, Matt? A lot of really cool superstar cards in this, but a couple of them that didn't quite think all the way through the, the meta and what some of the implications would be. I, I think I'd give this one a B as well, and maybe even a, a B plus for some of the little 
attention to detail uh, things that we saw, like with the uh, Tarak Nor love with the Cardassian versus the Dominion. But yeah, I, I'd say a solid B. I'm gonna go B minus on this. I have a, I really like that's what's going on here. Fundamentally, however, you don't win the game by battling, and and that's always been the problem with battle in Second Edition, and it's probably the reason there hasn't been a 2e battle-centric expansion because it's a very dangerous line to walk because if you make it so that winning battles helps you win the game it can become too powerful too quickly and if you if you make them they tried with spirit of Kalos and the dominion equivalent and and nobody really uses those it's tricky. It's a tricky line to walk. I really like the concepts here. I like that there's some really interesting things. I like that he's not afraid to make affiliated cards. I mean, he's only got two dilemmas, one event, and one interrupt here. So unlike Kano's expansion, there's not a lot here that everybody can use. I think that was a bold decision, and, and for the most part, a good decision. But seeing four Federation cards that synergize so well scares me a little bit. I think I would have to go B-. minus just slightly, slightly lower than I would have rated Parallels. We are going to take a look at Inter Arma Enim Silent Legacy, the final entry from Team Guichui, a.k.a. Nathan Miracle. As much as I didn't like the title, I like the idea of a boutique expansion that's all about sneaky stuff. And I think the dilemmas are kind of a cool reflection of that theme. Let's start with the first one, Double Agent. Matt, what, what do you think about this dilemma here? A couple new picky things right off the top. Infiltrators should be, you know, capitalized, um, since it's a keyword. The usefulness of this, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure this is going to be applicable unless you, can, unless you can set it up reliably. So, for instance, the second dilemma that he's got definitely combos well into the first one just jumping ahead just a second um, reveal place infiltrator on on this planet or aboard your ship I'm assuming that he means from his or her hand or something I'm not sure I think it's I don't know what it was intended but as written it's from in play because it'd be you know, yours, your command. So uh, you could basically use this to move any of your infiltrators that you have in play to where his crew is, so that all the infiltration stuff works. And you know, as long as you could get that to go off, it's a zero cost dilemma, so you can't rig it away. And then to set up double agent, going back to that, could be could be handy, especially like with uh, some non-line guys. Uh, Kieran McDuff is an infiltrator with a bunch of skills. And, uh, there's a couple other non-line infiltrators that, yeah, you could you could potentially uh, snag a few people. <laughs> Double Agent, on the other hand, is certainly able to be rigged away. So I like the idea of it, but like I said, without the setup, not not going to be overly useful. I don't have any particular objection to the card. I just don't know how useful it is. The one interaction that jumps to mind here is using setup with this, which will let you pick one person to stop. Does this seem undercosted to you? I, I keep comparing this to stuff like confined to quarters and uh, history repeats itself, that type of thing, where randomly select three personnel. If any of them have skill X, all three are stopped. Right. Th- this seems like it's better than that, but it's costing less than it. I think that has to do with the amount of setup that's involved with getting it to actually work in the first place, and that. 
should your opponent have some way to get your infantry out of there or make them be, make them be stopped during your turn, which I'm not really sure how that would work. But anyway, I, I think that's probably where the the cheapening of the uh, of the cost comes from is that because it's it takes a little bit of work to get there. The the, the, the decrease in cost is the only thing that's going to make it uh, viable. Let's take a look at the third dilemma here, which is called Spying on Allies. First off, Space Dilemma with uh, some skills. Uh, I am a big fan of skill dilemmas. I know they have kind of gone out of fashion, but uh, especially uh, I, I still like trying my uh, overwhelmed dilemma pile from time to time and uh, either getting somebody, either getting EXO or MED out, which a lot of popular Space Dilemmas would make that... Uh, Sarkovsky infection require is good, and then if you get it the other way, in, Intel security and treachery, you're taking at least three people out as long as you've got it backed up with a uh, urgency. So on that end, I really like it as far as its effect. Um, if you don't have a way to get this out of your core, this is like a perma stop each time you go to try a mission. So yeah, that's a pretty beefy effect for uh, for what you can get and. You need two intelligence. That's going to be the tall order for a lot of different uh, affiliations. So I, this is a fairly powerful uh, card. I'm not. I'm not convinced that it's overpowered. You have to work a little bit to get to work. But if you do get it to work, oh man, look out! I think two intelligence alone makes this really hard to pass, and it makes me question the cost, especially given that it's going to go into your core and stop somebody every turn. It really seems like this one's undercosted to me. In fact, I, I think all three of his dilemmas are undercosted. What really bugs me about this is the two sets of requirements are not equivalent difficulty right. at, at all. Right. And, and on most dilemmas, they need to be. And, and Exomedical and Cunning 30 is easy. Is, I would call it an easy requirements, while two intelligence, security, and treachery, I would call it difficult. And that's I don't think that equates to me. So. I think if it, was, if it had been intelligence security and maybe another cunning requirement maybe lower to uh, balance out the fact that intel's a harder skill to come by that possibly could have been a little more uh, appropriate well let's move on to the equipment which i think this is the only equipment we got out of 45 cards so kudos yep. for for making an equipment i mean the first thing that jumps out at me with this card is there's three different hoops you have to jump through to get it to work. You gotta be at your opponent's mission, you gotta have the right guy, and you gotta shuffle the equipment back into the deck. So right off the bat, that's three things that you're not normally going to want to do unless you're in an engagement deck or if you're getting cheap equipment or downloading more equipment with Fajr's Gallery or whatever. And the effect is you know, you get to look at the top three cards and stack stack the deck. So I, I would, you know, first of all, use this in a, in a Romulan deck. I mean, that's the first use that comes to my mind. I like the fact that it's got uh, Ferengi Diplomacy on there as, a, as an alternate for the, for the intelligence, but realistically, I, I can't think of a Ferengi deck that would really want to use this. Is the effect of this card really an equipment, or is this suffering from the same virtual reality headset syndrome? Yeah, I, th I think you might be right on the money with that. It is fun that 
if, if it was something like you left it at a mission and then when your opponent tried a mission, you could look at their guys before they tried the mission and have to shuffle it back in as a cost or, or, or you know, something. So you could, you know, kind of like the in one where you had to drop the antimatter pods to, you know, blow up ships or whatever, you drop these guys um, off at your opponent's missions so that you get a peek at their guys before they even try the mission. I think that would have been more uh, useful version of, uh, of this as opposed to what we got. I, I just think this is an event on an equipment template so that you can't counter it with Grav Trap, to me, and I think that cheapens the Possible. card. Speaking of events, we have two of them here to look at, and the first one is Engrammatic Dissociation. I like this a lot. Uh, it's a good it's a good balance. The, it might be a little strong on the Borg side, so I, I, I appreciate the fact that it's unique. But yeah, overall, I, I like it. If I'm running a Borg Assimilator and I'm using this, and you're running a not Assimilator and using it as a defense, it's just a wash, right? Right. Well, what about the Infuriating Betrayal card? This is one of those that helps an infiltration deck the most successful of which right now is the is going to be the, uh, the attribute denial and by taking away the ability to to cheat around skill dilemmas I, I really like that a lot because it's one of those it's one of those parts of the game that has kind of gone away in recent recent times that um, was one of the you know that was part of uh, two in the early days you know how you know you actually have to think about who you're putting in your deck how to build your skill matrix and whatnot and now it's just, well, I'm going to have X, Y, and Z so I can cheat around this. And if I don't have that, well, I'll put my backup in here. And, you know, So I, I like the uh, encouragement of uh, being able to, to face skilled lumbas and actually beat them that way. I think this is a neat card. I, I wish that it said, well, you have an infiltrator present with an opponent's personnel instead of just at that mission. Right. Make it a little bit harder to, to pull off. I'm a little concerned about this with, like, original thinker Kirk, because it, it reminds me of how Kirk was when it first came out, where he, you know, if you Kirk the dilemma that turned out it to be an invalid dilemma, it sort of, like, kept going until the end of the dilemma stack, and there was this huge, complicated interaction about preventing an invalid dilemma that ultimately resulted in Kirk getting eroded and a rules change in the game. And this, this, this kind of brings that all back to me with big, red, scary, this is a judge's nightmare type of card in front of it, where, <laughs> oh, I'm going to Kirk the next dilemma, but then I can't Kirk it because it requires a skill and my infiltrator's there, so what happens? It just strikes me as, do we really want to go down that road again type of situation? So I'm sure all the rules stuff could be worked out, but I wonder if it was considered. There, actually, it addresses the Kirk thing because it says dilemmas revealed, and a Kirk's dilemma is not revealed before he prevents it. So, good point. It's already got the, it's All right. already got the so, built into it. Excellent. I guess that is uh, very true. So, kudos to Gooey for catching that then. Well, let's talk about the interrupt here the ulterior motive. I see something new here, which is you may only play one copy of this interrupt each turn. This is one of those mechanics that. I've, I have, I, w- I wouldn't say I've been trying to lobby for it, but it's something that I wanted to see. Um, I've wanted to see a uniqueness dot on interrupts, like there used to be in Star Wars uh, card game for, that Decipher put out. I, I, I think that's a wasted line of text when we play another one copy of this interrupt. Turn. I think you put a uniqueness dot on an interrupt, put something in the in the CRD that says this is what that means, and leave it at that, and you got another line of uh, card text. As far as the effect, I, I dig it. 
it's it helps you it helps you cheat if you can uh, you know it makes you it makes you go farther because you have to have you know two skills in place of one so uh, I, I dig that a lot and this is a big help for Romulan and Cardi decks and uh, yeah they definitely could use it could use the help in the uh, current environment I'm not sure that that line of text works I, I think it would need to be worded something like to play this interrupt you must not have played a copy of this 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 turn something along those lines I, I like what it's trying to do I think it's a nice nod to the fact that this is a card that's walking a power line. Yes. Uh, this is a very powerful card, and that, that being on there is an attempt to moderate that. I just don't know that it's going to work. And remembering the context of of this expansion, introducing something new like that right before a major event makes me kind of raise my eyebrow in a very Spock-like manner. It's, it's definitely a cool card. It will definitely help Cardassians and Romulans and even a Founder deck. It would actually help a Founder deck. Yeah, absolutely. Alrighty, then let's move on to his mission. Construct Secret Fleet. I love it. Totally cool. We've got Romulan Cardi. This is them, the the, uh, the, the die is cast, uh, all this. And it's, it's, the same, it's basically the same thing as Commandeer Prototype, except it's limited to Romulan or Cardi. Love it. I, I'm all over this mission. It's got the right skills. It's got uh, maybe a little low on the attribute requirement, especially for the effect that you get, but uh, it takes intelligence, which is you know the tougher one. So, yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. I think that this should stop the ship because it's strictly better than Commander Prototype right now because I can solve it, download a new ship, beam my guys over, and keep going. That's pretty good in addition to being a 40-point mission. The other problem that I have with this mission is that it already exists. Intercept Renegade is in the same location as this mission, and that is generally something that 2E doesn't do, which is double up on missions. And oh, as far as the uh, location in the, in the lore? As far as the location in the lore, and it's a really cool story, and I really like it, but it's, it's, really, it's been done already, and that's a problem. So it would have to be restoried to work. In this case, you could probably get away with it. I mean, even by saying, you know, near Orion system or deep Orion system, just, you know, differentiating it just a tad because they were kind of two different things because on the one hand, the Intercept Renegade, they're trying to stop Riker, you know, because he didn't know what he was flying into. And on the other hand, they're still they're trying to make the fleet. So, you know, the, the one discovered the other. One was trying to protect the other. It wasn't like the constructing of the secret fleet had anything to do with intercepting the renegade. The intercepting the renegade was trying to get them to not discover the, the fleet. Alrighty then, it's time to move on to personnel, and we will start with the Boon Impersonator, Deep Cover Operative. Now, I like the name. I think it's a nice reference to the Romulan Impersonator, or the, sorry, the LaForge Impersonator that was made in Legacy. So I don't have any problem with that. This is the infiltrator that uh, every infiltration deck will want to play with because, especially, this is another one of those uh, I want to discourage you from cheating around skills. And with anything or anyone, you just plop it down, go to town, and then, hey, you're, uh, you're stuck with this guy on your ship or on your planet, and you're not needing skills. So, yeah, I, I like him an awful lot. Let's transition over to O'Brien Founder. Now, the first question that I have to ask... Well, let's talk about the card, and then I'll ask my question. So, what do we think about this new shapeshifter? 
the skills are definitely uh, appropriate. Maybe one less skill for, especially with the, the powerful uh, effect or ability that he's going to have. Is this one better than the existing O'Brien Founder? Now, the existing O'Brien Founder is the one that downloads any infiltration event. Well, I mean, that's the guy that really kickstarts any of the uh, any of those decks. This O'Brien Founder, I, this this O'Brien Founder appeals to me more than the other one that downloads. But that's just me personally. I like screwing with my opponent on the on the dilemma level and, uh, and making it harder for them to pass the limits. I, I enjoy that aspect of the game. I know other people are more like I want to actually get my whole engine going with uh, you know drawing drawing extras and set up and getting all my infiltration stuff out on the table. So. No, to each his own. I this is uh, this is kind of a new uh, no one scenario or overwhelm that Dominion gets. So yeah, it's uh, he's good. If it was when an opponent's personnel gains a skill, and then something like you would have to stop the O'Brien Founder to make them stop, so you can only do it once a turn. Because as written, that's really good. Because if you, I mean, that's basically going to be. You stick them on a planet that you don't want them to do, and they're not going to go there unless they get rid of the O'Brien counter first. Or, or you combo this with his move your infiltrator around dilemma, and you don't even have to work. Exactly. You just you right. just play him on anything or anyone, and it's like, I don't care where you're going, you're going to be stopped by all, all my stuff. And then right. if you move, I'll, I'll play another one of these dilemmas and move him over there. It's Yeah, the ability is a bit on the uh, spicy side, so I think Tony made it down just a tad, and uh, yeah, got a good card. I'd be loath to replace the other O'Brien founder with this one, simply because of that download is so very useful. There are two founders that I never use because their abilities just aren't that good, which is Martok and Kira. I would have liked to have seen one of those be replaced before this guy. I'm just I like the card. I do think it's too powerful, and I would have liked to see it been a different founder. So let's talk. Let's take a look at Julian Bashir here, which. Um, I, I appreciate the subtitle, which is a reference to his earlier versions. I love getting to see Bashir with intelligence. I, I, I'm glad we finally got one of those. His ability is pretty good, and being able to swap this into just about any deck because you've got an online Bashir with, uh, and then swapping him in with um, multi-dimensional transport device. Well, I mean, you do need another Fed Intelligence to make it stick, but, you know, for Maquis, that's no big deal. And, I mean, wow, he would he would be awesome in Maquis decks. But, again, it's one of these that don't require skill effects, so I'm not as opposed to it. But, yeah, a little, a little strong. I'm kind of baffled about this because there is a Deep Space Nine deck out there, and it's, it's kind of a Dark Horse Deep Space Nine deck that can essentially exclude an entire away team from being selected by any dilemma. Right. Or prevent them from being stopped, period. So even if you're using choice stoppers, they can't be stopped. And and giving that deck another card that can now... I mean, you know, there's a couple different Fed Intelligence people that can go in that deck. The most notable one would be Ross, Admiral Ross. Mm-hmm. And... It just it worries me. That deck is already on the border of being really, really good. But then again, it's a Dark Horse deck. It's not a deck that a lot of people have run into or played with. So it's a good card. I think I think you should lose a skill for this, the cost three, but that's just me. Uh, it would have been 
interesting to see him lose uh, biology and replace it with intelligence, maybe. Yeah. So let's talk about Dr. Noah. The nod to uh, Anastasia Kamadanov is, is cute. I like it. Um, with, this, with the second line of the ability. This cunning... I, I don't know. If it's an evil genius, he should probably have more than a six, but, I mean, it's appropriate for the two costs. But the rest of him just kind of doesn't really work. I mean, evil geniuses are not going to have jump in front for the for their cronies. They're going to do it the other way around. So I think I would have liked to have seen the first ability, you know, somebody else jump in front for him. Yeah, I, I agree that his ability is, is completely backwards. I, I do kind of like that it's it's another piece in that impending hologram deck that's that's floating out there on the horizon. You know, Infinite Diversity had all the Children of Light in it, and they're all non-line holograms, and there were a couple non-line holograms before that. And there's the future Voyager folks, too. So I like that this is kind of a piece of that puzzle, and it's certainly mechanically a very nice card for that deck. But you're absolutely right that this doesn't fit the character at all. You know, It also really doesn't fit the rest of the expansion. It's kind of like one of those... You know, because the rest of the expansion is, you know, intelligence and sneaky, and this guy wasn't really, you know, sneaky, he doesn't really do anything with intelligence, he's just kind of one of those, he's, it's Benjamin Sisko in, in different clothes, so we're going to put him in just to have the face on the expansion, so, eh, I don't know, I, I, in that respect, I'm not a big fan of this. Yeah, I, I also object to three treachery. Treachery and honor are kind of like not skills skills, they're not something you go to school and learn. To, to me, it's more of a spectrum. It's more of a you're 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 nothing, or you're honorable, or you're really honorable, or you're evil, or you're really evil. And it's it's you can't go to school and study more treachery. And especially when you put him up against the other integrity one people in the game, and the two that I can remember are Tolian Soren and Bashir Founder. So giving him a third treachery it, that just really sticks out as a sore thumb to me, and makes me take a card that could have been cool to. I gotta veto it, you know? So. Anyway, let's let's move on to something a little less controversial, at least between you and I, and talk about Mr. Desev here, the Moral Defector. What what are your thoughts on this card? I like the fact that he's this is this is the Romulan version of him, so this is like just before he came back or as he as he was coming off of the transporter pad. I mean, we never see him on Romulus in Unification, but, or not, this is Unification, this is Face of the Enemy. We never see him, you know, in Romulan trappings in unific- uh, Face of the Enemy. The, the ability certainly is going to help dissidents out. I like it a lot. I'm not real convinced that this is the guy that it should go on, though, because he was, while he wanted to help out, that seemed like it was more of a bargaining chip for him rather than this is why he came back so he could give them the message that, oh yeah, there's going to be some high-level politicians that are going to be uh, coming through. It, it seemed more uh, just a matter of convenience for him, like he wanted to get off the planet, they came and found somebody, and it was it just happened to be him, and, he, and you know, he, he knew that he would get picked up because he was a Federation uh, deserter. While uh, certainly a solid card, yeah, I, I don't know if this is I, I like the I like the game text a lot, and it will certainly help a dissident deck out. I just I question a lot of the choices here on the story. I mean, Integrity Six is great for a dissident deck, but is it really right for this character? Is he really that honorable? He didn't volunteer to go back to the Federation and 
accept punishment for defecting to deliver this message. I, I think even the quote there makes it clear he was going back to the Federation because he was tired of being on Romulus. Yes, and they tracked him down and basically said, since you're going back anyway, will you deliver this message? And he's like, okay, I might be able to negotiate less jail time or something out of it. And again, <laughs> none of that's canon. I can't prove any of it, but that's certainly the vibe I got off this character. That's the subtext of the episode. Yeah, and, and so honor and intelligence don't even really seem appropriate to be on there. And, and I, again, I like the ability. I can I can even look, look over the fact that he probably shouldn't even be Romulan. I just think that the, the story selection for that game text seems poor to me. I, I think you could make a case for the intelligence, but yeah, the honor doesn't. I, I don't really think that belongs in there. Okay, well, let's take a look at the last personnel in this expansion, which is Harris, the Section 31 agent that appeared in a couple episodes of the last season of Enterprise. Well, you know, he's got skills that are certainly appropriate, and, you know, just another intel uh, flunky for Starfleet to flop out there. His abilities, kind of one of those doesn't look real great at first blush, but then you start thinking about, you know, well, I don't want the effect, I want the cost, because that does something else for me, and really makes a couple of things, uh, especially the mirror guys, you know, I, I'll say, oh, I'm facing a dilemma, I need to get rid of cards in my hand, I'll pitch, and I'll pitch, and I'll pitch some more, and hey, we're at the end of the dilemma stack, and I'm out of cards, so my guys are all cool. She's, he's really good with Gannett Brooks, which I think was probably a design goal, Right. but she's, she's, um, Cheater Garrick for the Starfleet. This turns her into a dial skill. If you put a skill in your deck, this guy plus her can make your per- your away team gain it. As long as you keep a Starfleet personnel in hand. So, but you're you know you're right. He's he's really just gonna get you. I think he's gonna go in every Starfleet deck. That takes us to the fifteenth and final card in Long Latin here, the Senatorial Shuttle. I like the fact that he's got the uh, the range plus one for X people, kind of like we had on uh, Galgathong and a couple other ships. The, the rest of the ability being on a, a non-unique ship, fairly cheap for ships as well, and, and very generous on the staff requirements. And so six range as opposed to the seven that they get on you know the normal ships that they have. I don't think that's going to be a limiting factor. And being able to uh, make uh, the Neural uh, from uh, Favor the Bold just be that much more awesome because, oh, now now I don't, not, not only do I get to exclude my guys from skill dilemmas, on the ones that don't require skills, I can exclude them too. Pretty strong. I think you might uh, dial this one just to back, back a little bit or even just make it a unique ship and so that you can't have, you know, three copies running around. It shouldn't have six range at all. It should be like two, you know, or well, whatever the runabouts have four at the at that. The fact that this can be a range ten ship, the, the Romulans they already got one with uh, Bird of Prey. They don't need another ship that can be ten range, especially since you were already going to run Romulan diplomacy people for your space missions for Gom two. Or even if this if this was going to keep that first line of text, I think I would drop the range down to like three, and that would that would be more in line with. The, uh, the runabouts, like you're saying, and just if like if all the stats were three, a three 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 shuttle, then I can I think I can buy it a little bit more. My bigger concern with this card is they don't wariness is already really good. Yes. And until the the meta shifts away from that dilemma pile, which is happening slowly, 
and will happen more here soon, hint, hint, that deck is really good. And giving it another weapon going into the World Championship stymies me. Especially, now, now, to be fair, a lot of the Romulan intelligence personnel already get excluded from, from dilemmas with wariness. But there are some that don't, and this just makes it even... This makes that pile, even that deck, even better. Well, and this doesn't even have any... And, you know, this is this is the early game half of wariness. You can just drop this on turn one, and you're good to go until you get your wariness out, and then you're good to jump on your planet missions for the back half of the game. Yeah, it it just it's kind of a stymieing decision why you would take that deck to give a powerful weapon to right before our worlds. What is, what's your overall thoughts on this expansion, and what grade would you give it? A lot of really cool ideas in here. A couple misfires, but overall, Nathan shows why he was uh, why he made it this far in the competition. But this, a couple really home run cards in here. Uh, I think overall, uh, is again, it's gonna sound like a broken record. I, I think I give this one a, a B and maybe B plus B. Maybe it's like. 87.49 or whatever the cutoff it's really really close uh, all three of these all three of these uh, expansions all together they all have the same type of you know there, there's a couple of cards that really hit the mark and a couple oversights that were made but overall um, I'm, I'm really excited about all three of these entries and it's going to be really tough to see uh, which of these is going to eke out the win the uh, public has a very tough choice in mind. Overall, I, I'm going to give this a C. I think that this this expansion has so much cool potential in it. And unfortunately, I think a lot of that cool potential is unrealized. My objections about the name were made known earlier, but once, once you get past the name and get into the theme, the theme is awesome. You know, sneaky, yes. treachery, spying, really, really cool. When you start digging into the cards, there's no, there's like two cards in here really, that are useful to more than one deck type. The, the mission and the, the punishment box and space dilemma. Everything else is like very specifically designed for one deck type. And even the mission isn't. It's really meant for, for two decks. And everything else is in here is, is going into one specific deck. So putting this out right before Worlds isn't going to help the, the majority of people. There's nothing in here that most people are going to splash in here. It's only going to go in a couple different decks. And when you actually start looking at the cards, I, I question some of the decks that are trying to get boosted with these cards. It's too specific of a set to, to really work for what it's really meant to do, and I think that some of the meta adjustments are going the wrong way. So because of all those reasons, I, I would probably give it a C plus. I could probably have my arm twisted into a B minus, but I, I think that there are just a few more missteps in this one than we're in the other two. We have now taken a look at all 45 cards. I am excited to see what the results are going to be. Me too, and as we've mentioned before, voting is opened until Monday, August the 9th, 2010, at 8 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Now, the two runners-up, whomever they may be, will get to design one card, but as we all know, the winner, decided by the judges and your votes, will join Brad as an assistant designer for an upcoming virtual expansion. 
So this is a big, important moment for you guys to help shape the future of the game. Matt, thank you for taking time out of your day to join me today. Always a pleasure. On behalf of Mr. Matt Kirk, my name is Charlie Plain, and in the immortal words of Captain Jean-Luc Picard, make it so.